Good morning, everybody, and welcome. You are listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8, or 88, right across the Faith FM network, right across Australia, wherever you are. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning, and you are with Lyle and... Mon, who is so happy that Lyle is back. So, I was back so yesterday. Happy. What are you talking about? Well, you know, this is the delayed broadcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still happy. I'll be happy for a while yet. <laughs> oh, okay. So you're glad to be rid of uh, Taryn? And- no, no. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> no. I'm just happy to, you know, hand over the hosting role back to you. That's and fine. a very special thank you to Taryn and Lawson and Christopher, who mm-hmm. were all part of the show while I was away. Yes, they did a great Doing job. a fantastic too. job. I was worried that I wouldn't have a job when I got back. You got close there for a minute, but then, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we thought, nah, we'll give it back to him. <laughs> Why not? Why not? But yeah, it was. Ah. It is. This is indeed the delayed broadcast, dear listener. And uh, if you would like to jump across the live show, it's very easy to do so. Yes, where everything is up to date, and you aren't mm-hmm. listening to news stories that are a couple of days old. You'll be listening to the live show. It'll be happening live every morning. There's two ways to do it. The first one is you can go to our website, which is faithfm.com.au, and you can just scroll to the top of the page where you'll see the live stream, and just press play, and you can listen to the live show. Mm-hmm. And the second one is via the TuneIn app. Download the free version. There's a paid version, but just ignore that one. And search for Faith FM Australia. And once again, just press play. Simple as that. So you know what to do. Go ahead and do it. And I was in the States. I was listening to you guys on uh, Tune in. On the TuneIn app. Yeah, it's it's really handy. You I can even caught you making a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> giving away the clue <laughs> for the quiz. Uh, thankfully, we didn't do that during this show coming up today. It was just like always oh, like concentrating really hard, trying uh-huh, not to say uh-huh. that magic number. I think it was because I was sitting in your chair. That's what I blame it on. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. When I so, it. so this is how it works, yeah, right? Yeah. The moment I work out of the office, it's like Mon is sitting in Lyle's chair. I get to sit in the big mm. boss chair. <laughs> no, I, is my seat comfort- more comfortable than yours? Uh, it's not bad. It's a bit weird because people walk past behind you and it's a little bit disconcerting because every now and then I catch someone going over my shoulder. So, uh. yeah, I don't know how you do it. Well, you get it when they walk in the door. Uh, I, don't know. I can see them in this reflection. Uh, well. Any- anyway, anyway. Anyway, anyway. Anyway. This morning, I am thankful that you made it into work today. Yes, I made it to work. <laughs> <laughs> you almost had one of those adventures. Yeah. Had one of those adventures that uh, illustrates why um, women live longer than men. <laughs> Please explain. So my car broke down on the way back from the airport yesterday uh, right here in Newcastle and I refused to run. So this morning I went to pick it up with a car trailer, towing it with my son's Commodore station wagon. And when I went to put my um, Nissan Patrol on the car trailer, of course, as it drove onto the car trailer, it lifted the back of the Commodore wagon up until the back wheels were about chest height. <laughs> no way. And, of course, this is 5 o'clock in the morning and there's about three people in the car park and so um, old mate comes across to give us a hand and uh, he's like, yeah, we just need somebody who's game enough to put their foot on the brakes so the Commodore doesn't roll away while we're trying to load this and thing. And he did it? <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and this is all before the show started. All before the show all started before the show. Unbelievable. And uh, so I'm just thankful that it's now safely loaded. I've just got to tow it off to a mechanic now. Well, I'm really grateful that you made it this morning and I am grateful you're back. We have a wonderful show coming up today. Of course, give us a call and tell us what you're grateful for. You can tell us what you're grateful for anytime. If it's delayed, broadcast or live, doesn't matter. Our number is 1-800-FAITH-FM. It's 1-800-324-843. We have a great show coming up for you today. 
uh, starting with some wonderful music. And then, of course, we have one of Lyle's best friends coming on as our guest interview. Oh, we do indeed. Have a Bible study that we're continuing. But yeah, stay right there. It's going to be a good day. It's not just about the manger Where the baby lay It's not all about the angels Who sing for him that day It's not all about the shepherds On the bright and shining star It's not all about the wise men Who traveled from afar It's about the cross It's about my sin It's about how Jesus came to be born once So that we could be born again It's about the stone That was rolled away So that you and I could have real life someday It's about the cross
Welcome back, everybody. That was the Ball Brothers with It's About the Cross. You're listening to Faith FM. And we have a quiz happening. We do indeed. Let's see if... early birds. They've already... Already a couple of clues up there. Uh huh. Jumped on Instagram and seen two clues ahead. But let's see if you and I <laughs> won't stuff up this quiz <laughs> by giving away yeah. the answer. Okay, so it is a what number am I quiz, which is the same kind of quiz that I ruined earlier this week. <laughs> and the first clue is: after the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, it remained in Philistine territory for this many months. Do you know the answer, well? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. Billy, even back in the country, is also already killing the quiz. <coughs> if you know the answer, give us a call. The number is 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. You can text me 0491-064-669. You can even message me directly back on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, whatever I works believe for the you. answer to this is the same as the number of resurrections there are in the Bible. Is, uh, is that one of the clues? Let me have a look. Nope, 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 nope. Free for you. There you go. Ah, I didn't know that about the resurrections. Mm-hmm. I think you might be wrong. Really? I'm going to test you when the song comes back on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stop talking about it. Let's stop talking about it. All right, all right. <laughs> You're feeling a little Is it ner- this many? Feeling, feeling a little nervous there, Mon? Yes. <laughs> now that I know I'm susceptible. <laughs> hey, Lyle. Uh, yes. Let me catch you up on some of the good news that's been happening. I haven't been, you know, I've been being in America, you only hear American news and yeah. I haven't heard any Australian news at all. Yeah, I've been saving some real cockles of a stories just for you. Okay. Like these ones are so hilarious. Have you heard, this is so funny, about the helicopters dropping cane toad sausages? What? <laughs> What on earth are you talking about? Okay, so this is maybe like a week old, but I literally wanted to save it for when you came back. Okay. Okay, so is it like baits or something or other to kill cane toads? No, oh, I wish. That'd be amazing. But no, that's too dangerous because, you know, when you try and uh, put baits out to kill a specific pest, what it usually happens, else. it kills yeah. everything else. It, kills all, it usually kills all the wrong things. Yeah, exactly, know. exactly. And, uh, and as we all know, cane toads, um, they're, they're poisonous to our native animals but mm-hmm. because they're not you know this is not their natural environment they're kind of like sitting ducks so they're easier prey for our native animals so they get eaten a lot but then they um, the animals then die because they have you know ingested a poisonous animal mm-hmm. so they're trying to combat this they've been trying to combat this in different ways for quite a while um unfortunately cane toads you know it started over in in queensland and it's now worked its way all the way across to western australia which is sad um terrific and in Kananara, they are doing a rather innovative method. They are trying to tweak it at the moment. They're still like testing it. But what they've done is they've gotten locals um, who have just, you know, picked – because the, the proper way to do it is you find a cane toad in your garden, you collect it live, put it in a placky bag, shove it in your freezer. It's a humane way to kill it because it just slowly freezes to death and doesn't notice anything. Then they bring these um, to the, a depot. I'm, I'm just wondering how that's a humane way to die. I'm just thinking I wouldn't like to die that way. No, I mean, for an animal, for a frog, cold, cold-blooded, it doesn't it doesn't feel anything. Okay. Yeah. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. cold-blooded. It's like ants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, except some ants will actually come back alive once yeah, yeah. you roast them back when, up again. When I was a kid, we used to try that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh, I've got frozen ants. Oh, I'm going to bring them back to life. <laughs> 
It's actually a good movie prop. They use it in filming. If they need to film ants moving slower than they usually do, they freeze them and then they put them in position and they yell action. And as they're thawing out, they film them slowly moving. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, little trivia. Okay, so in Kanara, um, so then the, um, the locals will then bring these toads to a depot where they are then uh, chopped up. Um, I was just thinking, you know, no animals were hurt in the filming of, the, <laughs> of this movie. We just, we just froze them in. It's just randomly went out and got some innocent little ants or running around doing their little ant thing and froze them solid. I mean, they weren't hurt. Then, now, then we thought them out and filmed them and they didn't mind again. at all. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Put them back out in the park for their picnic. <laughs> anyway, so then they, they then remove the legs from the cane toads and then they uh, they move the skin for the legs so it just leaves the meat and the bones and then they shove these cane toads, um, they remove the, the poison out of them and, so, right. and then they put them through a... Uh, you know, one of those um, mincer mixer machines and it comes out the other end as like a string of sausages. But they add this... I'm just getting so gross. Yeah, they right add now. this... They look, they look like little string of sausages you'd see like in a cartoon, see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. they add a chemical called thibes... Oh, goodness. Thibenzol, which is a nausea-inducing agent. And they add it into the sausages and then when they um, find out where the, where the toad front line is, so to speak, they go, they fly helicopters over across this front line while the toads are coming across the country and they drop all these sausages um, several hundred meters in front of them. Mm. And the idea is that our native animals find the sausages, eat the sausages. Because the poison's been removed, they don't die, but the nausea-inducing chemical makes them sick for a little while. So it turns them off the taste, the flavor of cane toad meat. So that when they then actually meet a real cane toad, and unfortunately the front, the, the, the cane toads that are at the front are the biggest, deadliest ones. So like it's like your first encounter is your last one ever kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So they're hoping that when they actually then encounter a real live cane toad, they'll remember, hang on, this tastes like that thing that made me sick and they'll just not eat it. Okay, so it tastes like a cane toad. It is a cane toad. But they've removed the gland from the meat before processing yep. it that, that yep. kills it's a, animals. It's a, squished, a cane toad squished into a sausage. It's, a, it's literally a cane toad sausage, like literally a cane toad sausage that's had its poison glands removed. That's such a unique way of, a, it of tackling this problem. I would never, ever have thought of such a thing. It's quite ingenious. Whoever came up with that idea? I know. They're still working because like, now that they've done it, they're, they're researching the results, seeing whether or not it's successful. Yeah, that's the other question. Does, does it actually yeah. work? So they're, they're still trying to figure that out. It's, it's quite. It's very new. very new um, – uh, campaign that they're doing so yeah they're still tweaking the sausage design and delivery mm-hmm. and um, and yeah hopefully it will work because you know it, the things that are dying are like quolls western quolls are already dying out they've died out in significant numbers since these cane toads have made their way across here so you know we really need to do something about it so mm-hmm. okay so my question is, well, mm-hmm. isn't, isn't it something interesting a piece of uh, cane toad trivia for you uh-huh. did you know that um, <coughs> a lot of our snakes like for, for instance black snakes mm. Um, in cane toad areas, have formed a new species that has a smaller head. Really? Yeah. Why? Because all the ones with big heads were able to eat cane toads and died, and only the ones with small heads survived, and so there you go. Natural selection, evolution taking place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Darwinism>. No, <laughs> well, actually, this is how this is how natural selection, evolution, um, or adaptation, I should yeah, say, because adaptation. it's just adap- adaptation of a particular mm-hmm. species. This is a prime example of how it works. Yeah, absolutely. information is lost, not gained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you know, true. It's a disadvantage, not an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like those bugs that were on that island that uh, ha- had no wings because uh, all the ones with wings blew away. And yeah, the ones without wings survived. And then the island got connected to the mainland and they all got eat, eaten. 
Information yeah. loss, not gain. Yeah. That's right. Uh, in other news that you might have missed, I don't know if you've heard the New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has given birth to a baby girl. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Congratulations. Only the second woman ever to give birth while running a country. Okay. So who was the other one? I was just about to ask you, can you guess guess the country that this that the uh, this second the first woman was in? Oh. It was quite a surprise to me. I'm going to go with a European country. No. Nah. No. Nah, okay. I'm already Pakistan. Yeah, Pakistan had a female God, prime minister who had a baby whilst running the show in 1990. I had forgotten that. I I I, I would still can't never that. would have guessed it would be Pakistan. But um, yeah. So so Jacinda and her partner have had a baby just recently, and they've just now taken her home from the hospital, and she's named Neve, which means bright and radiant, as well as snow. And her middle name is a traditional, um, well, an indigenous New Zealand name from the Maori language, Te Arhoa. I think, which means love, and uh, and they're all doing well. And she says she hopes that um, this is going to make uh, you know the, the start of making giving birth whilst running a country a normal thing. Why not? Why not? If you can do it, if uh, and, and hey, I don't know how anyone's going to do it. I don't know how Jacinda's going to handle that. But if you can do it, then there's uh, uh-huh. there's no reason why not. Yep, you run yep. the world for the baby. Might as well run the world for the New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> well, motherhood is one of motherhood is one of those jobs that if you can master that, then you can just about master anything. So yes, um, I wish them all the best, and uh, I wish them good health and God's blessings. Do you want to see a dog give a man CPR? Um. <laughs> <laughs> it is the coolest thing in Madrid Police have trained dogs to give CPR Oh you're joking I'm not joking It's amazing The dogs jump up and down On the chest of the person Who's lying on the ground And then they put their head Towards the person's mouth To see that they're still breathing And if they're still not breathing They continue jumping up and down On the chest I have the most amazing video I will put it up on our social well, media When you said CPR I was thinking you know, mouth to mouth <laughs> <laughs> a little sloppy, wet doggy kiss. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I've got a dog who's used to try that, but he doesn't try that anymore. <laughs> no, He's this is just otherwise. the jumping on the chest bit. It's absolutely amazing. I'm going to put a video up on our Facebook and our Insta, and I'll tweet it as well. And you can enjoy that amazing video. But this is Daniel Martin Moore with In the Garden. Enjoy this beautiful song. Well, I come to the garden alone. While the dew is still on the roses The voice I hear Falling on my ear The Son of God discloses And He walks with me And He talks with me And He tells me I am His own And the joy that we share As we tarry there Nobody else has ever known He speaks and the sound of his voice All the birds hush their singing And the melody that he gave to me is in my heart Just ringing, 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 ringing And he walks with me And he talks with me And he tells me I am his own And the joy that we share As we tarry there Nobody else has ever known
me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy that we share as we tarry there none other has ever known Welcome back. That was Daniel Martin <coughs> with In the Garden, in the cool of the day. And uh, you're listening to Faith FM. And Mon, there's an interesting story coming out of Canada right now. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And so there's two men over there. And let me just pull up their names very quickly. Uh, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Here we go. <coughs> um, these two men have just been uh, sentenced um, for polygamy. Okay. And so between the two of them, um, they have more than 160 children. What? Mm-hmm. 160 children? Indeed. That's quite the... By how many team. women? <coughs> um, 29 wives. 29 wives. 100. Wait, let me get my calculator. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Winston Blacksmore and James Olu were found guilty in British Columbia last July of one count of polygamy. That means each um, child. Each Blackmore, one, Blackmore alone has 149 children. Wow. By the way, that means that each woman would have had to have, on average, five and a half kids each. That's, um, that's a lot, even for just one woman. Yeah, that's, that's a fair chunk. That's a fair chunk right there. Okay, so here's something that. Uh, well, okay, first of all, I would I, I, I'd say that this is the height of hypocrisy. Are you being okay? To sentence them, yeah, to convict them in what? Canada. Why? What? Yeah, don't you think so? No, I'm confused. Why would it be hypocritical to sentence people who are like doing that? Okay, so here's 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 my thoughts on this. I I, I I absolutely think that this is the absolute height of hypocrisy that the Canadian government would uh, would, would would sentence these people for uh, the crime of polygamy. Um, oh, this. Okay, yeah. No, I see where this, you're going now. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> this being in a country uh-huh. where the largest private university had their law degree um, disaccredited. Simply because they had an on-campus policy that was against same-sex marriage. Not that they taught that in their law degree. That was not what was being taught. That, in fact, they did not teach that in any of their courses. Mm-hmm. It was just an on-campus policy that was a, their, their policy was that you know, in an election situation, they they believed that they would vote against same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at this particular situation, I would say that there is a lot more justification for polygamy than what there is for same-sex marriage. Mm. There is more justification if you and, – and let me let me say this right up front. Uh-huh. I do not in any way, shape or form mm-hmm. believe in polygamy. I believe that polygamy is absolutely and fundamentally wrong. Mm-hmm. I believe it's a, a form of abuse of women and a form of abuse of children. 
Agreed. Um, and, you know, the Bible is very, very clear that a person should be a husband of one wife. Yeah. Which follows that a wife will be a wife of one, one husband. Man. That's yeah. right, one husband. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the Bible is very, very clear on this, but you can build a much, much better case for polygamy from a biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. Even though the Bible is totally against it, but you can look at Abraham, who had multiple wives. You can look at David, who was called a man after God's own heart, who had multiple wives. You can look at Solomon, who had a thousand wives and yet was still saved and became a one of the authors of the Bible. I'm supposed to be the wisest guy ever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you can, if you want to, you can you can kind of build an argument for that. Now, what in building that argument, you would have to argue that these men, none of these men confessed and repented of their sins. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that would be a very difficult argument to build. But needless to say, you know, these two particular uh, people here, of course, uh, as a result of uh, being a part of uh, an offshoot of the Church of Latter-day Saints, Mm -hmm. um, have built a biblical argument that supports polygamy. Mm -hmm. Um, If you take it from the evolutionary perspective, you can build an evolutionary argument oh, for super you know, easy, yeah, yeah, much, much more easily than you can for same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. You can build it from the Bible is easier from same-sex marriage. From the from evolution, mm-hmm. it's easier to build an argument for polygamy from same-sex marriage. Yeah, because it's just supposed to be continuing your species, and <coughs> same-sex right. marriages is like the end of your species. Yeah, it's it's it's. it's it's continuing your DNA, mm-hmm. passing on your DNA. Mm-hmm. And so you've got Genghis Khan who um, his DNA is found, I think, in one out of every seven people in Asia Whoa. Uh, because he raped so many women, you mm-hmm. know, um, <coughs> throughout his lifetime who, you know, biologically he's the most successful human being who's ever lived. Mm. Um, he was the greatest tyrant the world has ever seen mm-hmm. um, and uh, not the kind of person that you would want to have – anything to do with really Mm -hmm. if you study the history of the kind of person that he was he was just absolutely brutal built the the largest empire our world has ever seen um but he was the most successful in passing on his dna and the object of evolution is to pass on your dna Mm. from an evolutionary perspective and so you would say no these are actually very successful men they are you know they're more moral than anybody else if you're going to take an evolutionary perspective so if you put god in the picture if you put evolution in the picture you either direction, you have a much greater case mm. for um, polygamous relationships than you do same-sex relationships because same-sex relationships are completely uh, the antithesis of evolution or the antithesis of the Bible. Mm. And yet yeah. Canada's decided to make... Oh, absolutely. And and and, uh, and and persecute. There are passages in the Bible that it is illegal to read in church right now. Oh, really? uh, you can't read them in church. It's illegal to read them in a public gathering um, in Canada. Um, you know, passages that talk about you know same-sex relationships and so forth. Oh. Um, and so and, and so I think this is I think this is a height of hypocrisy. Okay, here's my third point. Mm-hmm. Biologically, you can build a much better argument for polygamous relationships than you can same-sex relationships. What's their argument? What's, what is, how is the Canadian government <coughs> saying um, that homosexuality is fine but polygamy is not fine? Like, what do- well, they're saying that it's bad for the wives and it's bad for the children. I mean, which it is. But oh, absolutely. Ha- yeah. and, and my bigger question is this. You know, these guys have got, you know, 100 hours of community service and six months of house detention and, you know, a slap on the wrist basically for this particular um, circumstance. Um which I think is is just you know totally totally wrong. Um, however, some of the wives that they married when they married um, when they married those wives, 
it uh, some of them were as young as 15 years old. Uh. My question is this. Why aren't they going to jail for a very long period of time for child abuse? Yeah, that's... You know, it's just like what on earth is up with Canada right now? Yeah. This is insanity. I mean, even buggery is legal there, which by law also covers bestiality. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, which is disgusting. But I often find this in polygamy... Um, you know, they, they take multiple wives, but suddenly their wives get younger and younger and younger, and then suddenly you're looking at pedophilia. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, once you start down a slippery slope and, and people are like, oh, the slippery slope doesn't exist. No, it the does. slippery does, slope mm-hmm. does exist. Mm-hmm. It, it absolutely does exist. And, uh, you know, if you look at, um, you know, uh, the, the, the people that are in jail for abusing uh, young boys, mm-hmm. you know, and the stats here in Australia are just, you know, horrific. You know, one in six young boys being abused. And, um, you know, that, that's uh, – and it's like, oh, there's, there's there's no connection here. I'm like, well, you know, the stats sort of tend to point that mm. maybe there is a mm-hmm. connection here. You have very, very few women who have ever gone to jail for, you know, these kinds of offences. And so there is a slippery slope and we need to be aware of this slippery slope. And this is where the Bible is so wonderful because God gives us protection against this. He's like, don't go down this path. Mm. You know, this is a path to destruction. And you look at countries where polygamy is normal and it re- it, it results in very high levels of violence um, and particularly tribal warfare because, you know, biologically God has created a world in which women and men are roughly in equal proportion to each other, mm. you know, numbers-wise. Mm-hmm. And, of course, once you have polygamy, then you have a lot of, a very large group of young single men with uh, lots of testosterone who want to breed mm-hmm. and don't have that opportunity because you have a few alpha males out there who have snapped up all the women. Mm-hmm. And so the only way they're ever going to get that opportunity is through violence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so these become countries that are constantly violent. Mm. You know, they the, the, the most violent countries on the earth are countries where you know polygamy is an accepted norm. Um, and so, you know, as far as, you know, intertribal violence and all this kind of thing. And and this is one of the biggest driving factors in it. It's just you're never going to have that opportunity unless you commit an act of violence and, and push your way through fighting to the top of the pile. Do you think polygamy will become norm just like homosexuality has become norm as the world gets closer and closer to the end? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I don't see why not. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't understand their argument. If you're going to have same-sex marriage, then then what? What? Why could you? How, how do you possibly argue against this? Very interesting. If you have an opinion, give us a call one eight hundred Faith FM. Tell us what you think. All victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Come on! Nothing but the blood of Jesus 
Jesus What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus There is power, power, unworking power in the blood of the Lamb There is power, power, unworking power in the precious blood of the Lamb Back everybody, that was Anthem Lights with the Blood Melody here on Faith FM. And Mon, before we go to our guest interview, a clue for the quiz. Yeah, let me hit you with it. Okay, what number an I? Clue number two, which is not the answer, by the way. It's just clue number two. Not saying anything. <laughs> the number of days the law said a woman was unclean after giving birth to a boy. Mm-hmm. There you go. I wonder why the number is different for a boy than a girl. Uh, because their uh, immune system develops differently. Ah. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Okay, if you know oh, the so answer. It's very, it's very, it's, it's amazingly, um, when you look at the science behind it. And basically what God was doing, you know, these people were living in a third world environment and God was quarantining the mother and child until the child was able to develop its own immune system. Do the girls take longer or shorter than the boys? Uh, from memory, shorter. Go women, go women. Sorry. Okay, give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. It's 1-800-324-843. Tell us the answer. We'll give you the prize. Well, I turned up here this morning to a very pleasant surprise Mm -hmm. uh, to find out that you had organized a guest interview with one of my best friends. Yeah, dude. Surprise. Uh, Kel, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Morning, Kel Norton. How are you? I'm doing well. Praise God. I'm doing well. Amen. Now, Kel, I don't remember. How long have we known each other? Since, what, 99, 98, somewhere in there? Yeah, it's somewhere in there. A bit too far back to, um, to even want to remember, but it's been a while. <laughs> wow, you people are old. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we're Fantastic. old when it comes to eternity, Mon. Amen. <laughs> okay, so just a- I, mean, I mean, we're young. I know what you mean. <laughs> So just to give you all a little bit of background, Kel is uh, a creative person. In fact, probably the most creative person I have ever met. Mm. But we want to hear about that story, Kel, and we want to hear about uh, you know your story and how you came to God. And uh, yeah, let's just start with your childhood. Tell us a little bit about your childhood. I think you grew up in a uh, in a country other than Australia. Is that right? I did. Yes, and I was the um, the baby of a father and mother, but I was birthed by another mother, so I was adopted. Okay. And uh, adopted at the age of six weeks old, I was taken uh, by my adopted parents up into the um, the very, very remote parts of New Guinea. Oh, wow. They were medical missionaries in New Guinea. Okay, so what is a medical missionary? A medical missionary is somebody who's called to uh, give full-time service, uh, in some cases, sometime part, uh, to the work of um, helping others through the work of medical work. And they worked on a – my father and mother ran a leper colony, of all things. Wow. 
So what kind of a disease, do you remember as a young child what kind of a disease this, uh, this you know, we read about leprosy in the Bible a, a fair bit, but we don't see it in Western society. No, we don't. Um, it's still it's still part of uh, life in very different uh, remote parts of the world, and it's essentially a disease that um, attacks the body, again, via the immune system, but at the end of the day, it actually... Uh, literally eats away at the flesh and mm, takes a, mm. and take eats the body and mm. um, you become limbless. I res- I remember as a small child seeing a lot of those cases. Mm, yeah, wow. How old were you when you uh, moved back to Australia, Kel? Nine years. Oh wow! So I was nine years old and so uh, moved, living up there. I moved out of an idyllic situation. From New Guinea, we went to Tasmania, a place which you know well, well, Lyle. Oh, well, you place. moved into an idyllic situation. What are you talking about? <laughs> moved out of an idyllic situation. Yeah, look, situation. I, I realised after 12 months that I needed to get off that little dinghy of a boat that tags <laughs> along the back of Australia. <laughs> I don't know how we have remained friends for so long. Okay, Kel. boys, calm down, calm down. <laughs> I had a taste of it for 12 months. No, I love the, the island of Tasmania, but we moved up to New, uh, up to Sydney, of all places, and I really, um, was reminded by my parents, I have been over the years reminded by my parents that we would be driving along in the little town of Burnie, which you would know, uh-huh. and I could not figure at the age of nine why we were stopping um, every time we came to an intersection at lights. I just could not grasp the concept as a nine-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> not too many traffic lights in Papua New Guinea where you were as a, as a young kid growing up, I take it. No, just Land Rovers and dirt roads and coconuts. And uh, dugout canoes. And dugout canoes. That was the first thing that I was given as a Every young boy ends up getting something back in those days would be usually a bicycle or something. I was given an outrigger dugout canoe. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> okay, so your, your parents were obviously people who um, who really loved the Lord. And, oh, yeah. uh, um, you know, to, to give their lives in that kind of service for that period of time, that's um, very significant. Um, now, what about yourself? As a young person, you've come back here, you're nine years old, you, you're now growing up in Australia. Um, did did your life follow a course of uh, of following God? Um, unfortunately, no. Uh, as a young boy coming back or coming into a completely different world, such as um, I guess the the um, the world of the West, mm-hmm. um, and having and not even being prepared for it, I you know I just had no clue. And um, it was back in the mid-60s and um, rock and roll and the mod culture and the, the, the culture of the day, the pop culture of the day was really taking root. And as a nine-year-old with a creative bent and a creative uh, heart and soul, I was extremely attracted to what was on offering in the in in the cultural society of the then times. Mm-hmm. So that that gripped my heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the age of seventeen, I was gone and fully immersed. Mm. And, and of course, at this time, um, just to uh, to toss something else in there, you were struggling with something that wasn't uh, well understood in those days, being uh, dyslexic. Or is that right? That's right. Yes, I'm dyslexic, and um, and it's kind of a um, been for me. It's been a um, a, a positive. Yeah, yeah, in absolutely. But, in, but of course, back yeah. in the 1960s, it was just like if you were dyslexic, then you were just a bit strange. Well, even then, it wasn't even diagnosed. Yeah, I, yeah. It was, I was diagnosed much later as an adult. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, I shrugged it off because it's like, 
Oh, well, so, and it, it really hasn't affected me. I'm no, a designer. No, no, no. You've, been, you've, been, des- you've been actually been blessed by it because it has given you the yeah. talents that you need to, uh, to be able to do what you've done. Yeah. How, did you, how did you get started in creative work? Ah, oh, boy, that started very young. When I was young, it wasn't a start, but I realised I had a creative uh, mind or creative side to me or creative thinking. Uh, even back in New Guinea, I remember very fondly the strongest memories that I have. I have many memories, but the strongest one was just um, this concept of creative creativity. And I used to find a lot of things to do, as a young boy would, when you're in an idyllic situation to do, and they're always in the area of creativity, building stuff, making stuff, imagining stuff, all those things. And mm, just mm. and the environment was very conducive to that. So that was the start. But I ended up in at the age of 17. I I knew that um, the only pathway for me was down the creative um, line. And um, long story short, I did a little, I did a stint of um, study. Uh, for fine arts and um, and while I love painting, love drawing, love all of those things, I um, found myself, believe it or not, in signs, sign writing of all things. At the age of 21, I started my own business in sign writing. Oh, wow. And uh, mm. you didn't finish this course in uh, – the, the course in fine arts that you're doing, you didn't finish that course, did you? Uh, I did I did an introductory course for 12 months, which was a certificate-based course. But okay. I was then going down – I was then aiming to go down to Melbourne IT and do a full-time course. But um, I didn't um, get in. I, I, I applied, but I didn't get in. But God had other direction for me, as it turns out. Okay, so you started – Respectively. Sure. You started a uh, – you, you started out here with, um, you know, sign writing. What was it? Um, um, windscreens of cars or something or other, was it? Well, I, yes, at the age of 21, I, I was driving down Parramatta Road, the famous road in Sydney where all of the car yards were and still are, uh, and I saw this guy sitting on a bonnet, sign writing the prices of the cars on the windscreen. And because and I just came out of college, the year of certificate course in college, and I saw this guy and I thought, man, I could do that. Uh-huh. So I pulled over, went back, talked to the guy. Long story short, I ended up um, getting into the game the same as he was he gave me a huge amount of pointers and i ended up becoming his major competition wow <laughs> i bet he was disappointed to have a com- disappointed that he had a com- had a conversation with you but um, yeah just, just shortening up the story a little bit then you went from uh, writing um, uh, numbers on windscreens of cars to eventually being um, personally headhunted by uh, the prime minister of australia or the prime minister's wife i should say to do uh, um, branding work and this kind of thing. So, your creative work has certainly taken you a a, a, a long way from uh, from it car has. windscreens. But where was it God has. in all this? Because you said you'd you'd been enticed by the world. You're out in the world, and uh, you're probably living the high life as your success gets um, more. So, but you know, where did God find you? God found me at the bottom of a heap. Um, because I uh, ended up building a business in Brisbane, of all places, and we, we were running the, uh, the probably the, the the most advanced branding agency in 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 Brisbane. But we went broke, and um, and it was through just foolishness, basically. And I had a partner at the time, and anyway, we everything just went belly up and went haywire. And um, I was at the bottom of that barrel at the height of my time. And um, and I really was struggling with that. And I was in the world. And I even got to a place, believe it or not, that I was actually thinking about suicide. Mm, mm. 
And um, I contacted my father. Uh I remember being in deep depression, contacted my father, and he said to me, look, son, I can't help you, but I know someone that can. So he put me onto a a guy who was a counsellor within the church. Mm. And that's my first contact with the church in 30 years. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, your sister also played a role there. Uh, my memory. sister, my oldest sister, who is younger than me, um, she also played a big role. I, I reached out, started reaching out to the church in many different ways, and she was the one that I ended up reaching out of. She lived in Perth at the time. This is back in the, the late 90s, and she lived in Perth, and um, she was the one that um, I uh, went to, and and I wanted to study the Word of God. I, I had to get back to the God. Mm. Now, one thing is, when you're brought up in a Christian home, you never leave. The, if things never leave you, the depth of what you are taught mm. and the principles never leave you. And um, and I I returned back to those things. Uh, and and God was not seeking me. He, he God was seeking me, which steered me into seeking Him. Mm-hmm. And my sister had a big played a big part in it. She yeah. could, she was the one that answered the questions and just stayed with me as I went through two years. Or two and a half years of study. Yeah. Just my own study, yes. Well, we've got about three minutes left, so I'm just going to cut a little bit of the story short because uh, we bumped into each other at some point there in, in a uh, training course that I was running, and I actually had the privilege of doing your baptism, Kel, which was fantastic. It was. And uh, since that time, you have dedicated your entire life and your skills, which are remarkable, um, and, and oh, I would say God. probably um, one of the most creative people in Australia, um, oh. at least. Um, well, and, praise uh, Lord for that. But you've dedicated those to serving God. Um, in our last two minutes, what would you like to tell us about uh, what you've been doing for God? Well, God has enormously blessed and, and, and directed my life and taken the skills and the, uh, the insights and the abilities that um, he's developed in me over the years, over the 30-odd years of being in the creative industry. And um, we've, we've developed and created our own um, ministry, creative ministry. It's a agency-style ministry, and it provides and creates resources for God's work, one that most of your listeners may or may not know, but we're the ones that developed, along with you, Lyle. Yep, um, that's right. The, the prophetic code. Absolutely. And a major resource, and uh, but other things such as media. So we work in digital media, we work in film media, and published media. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, with the uh, Prophetic Code series of Bible studies, that's a uh, the series that that uh, I co-wrote. Um, you did, and uh, Kel has produced, which is is just absolutely outstanding. It is one of the most, it is the most attractive um, series of Bible studies that there is probably in the world right now. Um, and yep. of course, if you'd like to uh, to have a copy or to do that particular course, give us a call one eight hundred three two four eight four three. You know what our number is, or shoot us a message zero four nine one zero six four six six nine, and uh, we'll make sure that you can do that course. And uh, you've got a you you now um, are managing a studio, a film studio. Um, you're doing some film, film work. studio, digital, yeah, film, digital, and um, uh, print based and design based. Yeah, very very high-end creative stuff that we do for the church and for various ministries around the world. We actually work right around the world. Right. And and, and along with that, um, you've also gone into um, creating strategies for people that are doing ministry. Um, Say that again, Lyle, I just dropped out. Yeah, just creating strategies. 
Club, we do a lot of strategic work now, um, creative strategic work, uh, modelling and things like that, right down to adapting those models and implementing those models into what I call enterprise ministries. Yeah, fantastic. So if you would like to uh, to talk to Kel about um, what he's involved in, maybe he can do something for you and for your ministry, whatever it is that you are working on, uh, whatever project you have, then uh, give us a call and we'll get you in contact. Kel, thank you so much for joining us at this particular time. We're going to... Listen to Carly Fletcher with Knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock If anyone hears my voice And opens the door, I will come into Oh 
the healing power of forgiveness. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. Hey, Mon, mm-hmm. do you believe in miracles? Look, if God can change my life, I think I definitely believe in miracles. Okay, so the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church is making a difference in its community. Oh, yeah, how? Well, it's worshipping together, loving together, learning together, and above all, preparing for Jesus to return together. Ooh, that sounds good. When's all this happening? Bible studies start at 10 a.m., service at 11 a.m., and guess what that's followed by? Or is it this free lunch I keep hearing about? Absolutely. Well, please join us at the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church. Our address is 105 Lindsay Street, Hamilton, New South Wales. Every Saturday morning where you will be welcomed with a smile.
listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.